welcome to Bear Down Ballers. I'd like to welcome in a man who has had his pulse on the uh, his hand on the pulse of Arizona basketball for decades now, and a man that has uh, immense knowledge and and uh, history with the Arizona Wildcat program. Mr. Greg Hanson, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I was just thinking that uh, the first NCAA tournament game Arizona played and I went to was in Albuquerque. Oh wow! What year was that? Do you remember? It was Lute's first game, 1985. Wow! Wow! <laughs> and they scored 41 points. Really? Wow! <laughs> Alabama beat them uh, 50 to 41. High scoring. Not not the same as our current team, I would say. <laughs> oh wow! No, no kidding. So I appreciate you coming on today, man. I mean, you've been uh, like I said, you've been covering you know Arizona for. Um, you know, decades now. What's that experience been like for you, like being a part of the program for that long? It's the one reason I stayed in Tucson. When, when I got here, I, I was just going to spend a year or two and then move to, I wanted to move to like LA or San Francisco. And the timing was such that loot just took over. And it was so enjoyable to be around that I, I forgot those feelings about moving on. It was as fun here as anywhere else. So, that's a, that's amazing that you've been there, you know, in the community for that long, you know, covering so many different teams, players, you know, eras of, of Arizona basketball. You know, talk to me a little bit about your relationship with Coach Olson. I know you guys had an up and down uh, relationship, um, but, you know, mostly up. But talk to me about that experience. I've just always wanted to ask you that over these over all these years. Well, I saw the good side of him all the time. I always had a full respect for him and still do. Um, I mean, I had some, some times with him you can never forget. Like when, when he coached the USA championship team to the yeah. World Championship in Spain, um, I got to spend the whole three weeks with him and we stayed in the team hotel, went on the team bus, flew on the team plane. There were only two media guys and they were both from Tucson. And uh, I mean, we were in Paris, France one afternoon. We went to the Champs-Élysées and Lute sat there with us at some outdoor patio drinking beer all afternoon. And uh, the funniest part of that, we were walking back to the bus and like David Robinson and Steve Kerr and all those guys were on the team. And we, we get in the team bus and Lute just kind of passed out. <laughs> He's on the front seat, of course. And then the team came like 20 minutes later and they all saw Lute sitting there. And he had spilled mayonnaise and ketchup on his shirt he grabbed a hamburger on the way back to the bus, had a big stain on his shirt, and you know how neat he usually was. And they all just stopped and looked at him. They couldn't believe this was the majestic Lute Olson with this Wendy's hamburger mess on his shirt. So I've seen him from the that to when he really got, you know, serious. I mean, when UNLV knocked him out of the uh tournament in 1989 and Arizona was number one. It was Sean Elliott's last game and they're walking off the court. It's in Denver. And it was just a bad moment, as you can guess, as you probably remember from 98. Sure. And Greg Anthony of UNLV turns around and goes, F you guys will beat you next year at the Mac too. <laughs> and loot had to be restrained. I mean, Jesse Evans was holding him back. It, it was, so I've seen from sitting there in Paris enjoying the afternoon to getting that heated at, uh, against Jerry Tarkanian. 
I read something about that, that trip to, uh, to overseas to the World Championships. Expand on that a little bit. What kind of T-shirt was Coach Olson wearing when he got that mustard and mayonnaise on there? And talk about what, one of his one-liners, I think, that he had uh, after everyone saw him with, with that messed up shirt. Uh, it's funny. He, his baggage got lost um, from L.A. to Paris. And so he didn't have his coaching clothes, USA coaching clothes. And the trainer on that team was from Indiana. And so he pulled out his Indiana stuff and it fit loot. And so for like five days, because <laughs> you know, Bob Knight was Lute's probably biggest rival ever. Right. <laughs> Lute's walking around with an Indiana Hoosier shirt on. He coached with them on in the practices and everything. <clears throat> that was just a trip you can never forget. I mean, we go to Malaga, Spain, right on the coast. And uh, we were all naive young guys had never seen the world. And there were topless beaches that right 100 yards from the hotel is a topless beach right on the coast of the Mediterranean. And we all walk out and go, holy cow. <laughs> I look up and there's Steve Kerr and Sean Elliott, both with cameras taking pictures of ladies. And uh, that was a trip to, to remember. And maybe the thing I remember most about it was they were playing the Russians for the championship, the gold medal. And the Russians had pros against, you know, our amateurs. And um, Arvita Sabonis was their best player, even though David Robinson outplayed him. And uh, they show up for their last walk around the day before the game. And the Russians are stalling. They don't want to get, give Arizona their full court time. And loot, you know, his presence is so strong. He walks up to the people in charge of the event. And he goes, if they're not off the court in five minutes, there's not gonna be a game tomorrow. <laughs> stood there and the Russians came scurrying out. It was, and you, I mean, you saw that side of him. That sounds like Coach Oates to me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he was just in charge. That, that was, I wish I had, you know, smartphone in where I could have videoed some of that stuff. I do too. I think back that, about that all the time. Even you know, from '97 and stuff, we didn't even have cell phones back then, so we missed out on a lot of good, good content for sure, for sure. You know, and I got one more quick one. In in '92, they played a first round game in Atlanta, and they were a huge favorite. Um, you know, they had Damon and Khalid and those guys, and they lost in the first round to East Tennessee State, which was unfortunately for Arizona, sadly underrated. They could beat anybody. They had yeah. players. And they're like Tommy Lloyd's team now. They were up and down, up and down. And they even went faster than loot. And um, he was so peeved at the end of that game when he had to go through that press conference and a reporter asked him something about losing the game or whatnot. And he said, what do you, what do you say to those people who say you guys just fell flat? And he goes, Show me your resume. <laughs> Got up and stormed off the off the podium. So I've seen him from there to being one of the most humble, nicest guys ever. And yeah, I'd love to hear your stories about him. Oh, I've got I've got plenty. But trust me, and he's he was an amazing man, and um, you know helped all of us you know so much over the years, and just not just basketball wise, but you know pers personal personally and you know, teaching you the right way to act and be a success in life. Like there's so many different stories of, of coach helping us with that. Um, with all your years of experience, I'm going to ask you this, and I want to get your opinion. 
Um, you've been covering Arizona for so many years. What is, in your mind, what is the best team that Lou has ever had? Oh, I wouldn't hesitate. The, the 88 team. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, their, their schedule, they beat number one Syracuse. Um, they were ridiculously good. You were, you were probably 10 then. <laughs> the tough game that year that New Mexico. They went to yep. New Mexico undefeated, I think, two days before uh, New Year's. And I'd never been in the pit. Yeah. Mexico was really good. And we're sitting there a half hour before the game looking around going, holy crap. You know, you know how tough it was at Maples in those years? Yep. Or at Haas Pavilion? This, I mean, the pit to me was, I'd never seen an atmosphere like that. And, and New Mexico just beat them by like four. They were undefeated, number one. And I thought if you could hang in that game, you could beat anybody at any time. And that team just steamrolled. The Pac-12 wasn't very good that year. Just steamrolled. And, and then unfortunately, you know, they had to beat Dean Smith to get there. Yeah. They beat him in the Elite Eight in a very memorable game. And then they ran into an Oklahoma team that, and I'm sure you've had Matt Muehlbach on here before. When he talks about that Oklahoma team, it just raises lets me know how good Arizona was that they hung with them to the last minute because that was the best Oklahoma team in history and Arizona just happened to run into them at the wrong time. So I'm going to tell you this. I was at that game in New Mexico as a little kid cheering for the Lobos uh -huh. against, <laughs> against the Wildcats at that point. <laughs> I remember that game <laughs> very vividly. So <laughs> that was my start to, to liking the University of Arizona back as a little kid, actually. Yeah, that was you could probably talk all day about those games at the pit. Oh yeah, those were, <laughs> you remember those games. <laughs> That's when we saw Coach O being a, a little bit uh, upset at times, I would say. <laughs> were you on the team that uh, that he thought got, you know, yeah. messed with him? Yeah, that was my senior year. That was the last time they played played at the pit. Yeah, and I. Team, yep. yeah. Yep. So, give, so all for the four final four teams, I want you to give me your rank from one to four. So 88, 94, 97, and 2001. How would you rank those teams one to four, one being the best? And you said 88, so I guess 88 number one. And then I think personnel-wise, 2001 would be right there as close as you could get with them because, come on, come up with five starters better than that 2001 team had. Gilbert, <laughs> Jason, Richard Jefferson. My, I mean, Michael Wright was a man. Oh, yeah. Because you know more than anybody. And Lauren Woods, holy cow. Yeah. He had a year as good as anybody in the country. And they still couldn't win it. And then, obviously, you're 97 because they won all the big games. Is right there in the same. I don't know how you separate them. And then I thought the 94 team was not quite at that level. But they had two superstars in Damon and Khalid. Yeah. Um, but those other three, 97, 01, and 88, were just superior. I, I gotta say, I think we would match up with anyone, but I'm I'm just gonna say that you know I have to because of our '97 team. But <laughs> the, all of those teams had amazing talent. I mean, Coach Olson recruited some incredible players uh, over the years. It was it was a crazy run of success that he had at Arizona. I remember how harrowing those first two games were: South Alabama and yep. College Carlson, which seemed to be forgotten. Oh, to me, that's the true NCAA tournament. 
that you have to survive two ledge walks like those games. And they were, were they as hard or harder than beating Kentucky and Kansas? That first game in the tournament is one of the hardest games to win for whatever reason. I think just because of nerves and especially that year, you know, coming off a pretty rough, you know, Pac-10 season that year, had a lot of losses and everyone was kind of down on us. So I think that first game and being down, I think we were down 10 with five minutes to go in that game. And, you know, we never panicked, but we uh, definitely felt a little bit of pressure, but we just kept playing it. You know, that was the kind of the mark of our team was that that year was we just never quit and just kept coming back. And, you know, whatever the situation was, we figured out a way to be successful and, and get out of it. So um, those first two games were tough, though. Even College of Charleston was the same. They had a, they had a really good team that year, um, very well coached by John Cress. And uh, that was a battle, too. Those first two games were rough. <laughs> yeah. And then. You beat the best team in the country the next game. <laughs> that one we do. I, I say this all the time. We felt like we were going to win that. And we, we, we felt even before the game and we were just loose. And for whatever reason, we had extreme confidence before that game, which uh, translated into, into us being able to get it done. And Kansas made a heck of a run at the end of the game. But, you know, we, we were able to pull it out. So. That's one of the, my you know fondest memories, obviously, of my of the tournament run. But all those games, we didn't have any easy games in that that whole run. So yeah, it's like that North Carolina game was kind of forgotten amid all the other tough ones along the way. Yeah, they had us down early too. I mean, we were down down pretty much uh, all those games early, and we were able to battle back. It was an incredible run. I was just happy that we. We were the team that you know really got Coach O his his national championship and, and put him on that level that he was always supposed to be on. So it's one of my you know favorite uh, things that I've done in my life. So it was a it was a great run, great run. So um, so now let's let's switch a little bit to the current state of Arizona basketball. Just wanted to get your thoughts on you know the job that uh, Tommy Lloyd has done this year, the team this year, and then I'll have a follow up question on some of the things that were announced, uh, you know, for the Pac-12 Conference Awards, and want to get your take on that too. But what's your what's your thoughts on how this season has gone? I mean, it's been pretty su surprising and amazing season so far. I remember when when the media people turned in their votes for the preseason poll. Um, I picked Arizona third, and I thought maybe I'll be accused of being a homer, but I kept looking at the rosters more and more and, and thinking, well, the, the league's not that good this year. Yeah. And I kept, maybe it's when you're here all the time. I remember the best of the best of Tubelas and the best of Matherin and the best of Coloco. And I just thought no one else in the league has three guys like that. And um, to see it pan out, it was like week by week, about every week it was like, you go, wow, they're even better than I thought they were. Yeah. Now they get to this point. Um, to me, that was, well, Tommy Lloyd said it after they, they uh, beat Cal last week. He said, from where we started to where we are now, I didn't expect this. And I think that, that's kind of what everybody would say. I, I, could you have guessed 26 and three? Not at all. I mean, and I thought they would be successful and I thought they would have a good season um, and play better than you know they were expected to by a lot of the media and, and everyone going into the season. But I mean, no one could say that they they knew that this was coming. And Tommy Lloyd's first year, the transition, um, you know, a lot of the guys not having, um, you know, played together or played big minutes in a, on a team yet. And I mean, I think the job that he's done has just been incredible. And it's a lot. It's a credit to him, but it's a credit to the to the players as well that they've you know really bought into the system. 
um, you know, worked hard every single day, not gotten too high or too low and have just been able to come out and really, you know, outside of, you know, three games played pretty amazing basketball the entire season so far. So it's been fun to watch. They play an exciting brand of basketball, which I love. I love that they run up and down and, you know, throw, throw lobs and, and dunk and play fast like we used to. It's just fun to watch. It was funny uh, early. I think it was late October. I got to go to a practice with Jim Rosborough and, uh, it's like having the all-time professor sitting next to you explain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and about halfway through the practice, even a dummy who doesn't know an X and O like me, I go, wow, this is different. Look at it. <laughs> is this just, a, are they trying to get in some wind sprints here? And he right. goes, this is how they're going to play. And I went, really? Because, you know, we haven't seen that for so long. Yeah. And then the first few games of the year, it was just like, boy, they are going to play like this. And I kept wondering why don't more people try this? Well, why you gotta have the players? <laughs> yeah. And the one thing that they have that I think is overlooked is their basketball IQ. I mean, every single player on this on this team has an extremely high basketball IQ and can read situations and you know make the right plays a majority of the time. And you know, you don't get a whole team very often that has you know, that, that type of just basketball acumen. So it's been, it's been extremely fun to watch for me as an alumni. So it's, it's been great. Um, you know, with that, and they're a great play this year, you know, the PAC 12 awards were announced and Arizona dominated this thing. Like, I don't, I, that's what I was going to ask you. Has this ever happened before uh, in, in your history of covering the league or like, I don't, I don't in my opinion, I, since I was there, it hasn't. So has, has this ever happened where they've swept, you know, pretty much almost every award. It's <laughs> hard conference. to believe, but Arizona's never had the defensive player of the year. That they, was surprising. Of course, they didn't do it for about 10 or 12 years. I, I don't know. <laughs> but even Nick Johnson didn't get one. Even Rondé Hollis Jefferson didn't get it. Yeah, or Lauren, Lauren Woods. I mean, it is. Bennett Davidson. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Rodger always says. He Reggie Geary. <laughs> So there's five right there. And so this is the first one and they probably should have had five minimum. Um, and then of course they didn't have most improved player till about 10 years ago, but I think Arizona now has nine players of the year. Right. Um, and no one else has more than seven. And they've had three first teamers, I would guess seven or eight times, but altogether, you know, if you throw in the coach of the year and the player of the year, I should have looked that up before I talked to you, but it's gotta be, I can't imagine a team going beyond this. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, Chris with CeeLo getting most improved and defensive player of the year, which is pretty amazing to do, to do both this, in the same year. I don't know if that's happened before, but, you know, kudos to him for the work that he's put in over the years and the player that he's he's turned into. It's been fun to watch as a big man, you know, watching that development of when that light turns on and a guy, you know, finally comes into his own has been great. CeeLo's, you know, been playing an exceptional basketball this year. What are your thoughts on him? Well, I think back to um, his freshman year in that final home game and Oregon beat him in overtime when Oregon was the best team in the league. Mm -hmm. And he had, remember he had those free throws to, yep. to win the game in overtime. And I, I remember before I went to the line, I looked and he was shooting 32%. And I went, oh, <laughs> oh no, this is going to be so sad for him. I, I just couldn't bear to watch to see that pressure come down on him. And, you know, 
he didn't just miss, he, he bricked them. Yeah. And now he's got that terrific form. How often does a guy improve that much? Yeah. Really? Who, yeah. who have you seen who's improved like this? Nobody. I mean, uh, not not that greatly from year to year. Um, you know, Coach Olson always talked about how I improved, you know, a lot from my freshman to sophomore year. But CeeLo, I mean, from where he came from to where he is now and where he can still go, I mean, it's it's been pretty pretty exceptional to watch his, his journey. And I think it's, you know, it's obviously a lot of coaches have been involved in his development, but I think the way that Tommy Lloyd has handled him this year and really, you know, empowered him has really helped his game. Hey, from your experiences in the pros, both in the NBA and Europe, what what does he have to do to be good enough now to stick there? Uh, I think just continue to get stronger, um, you know, and get get a little bit uh, a stronger uh, base. Um, but, you know, he can defend, you know, multiple positions, even when he switches out on guards, he's very good at, at defending guards one-on-one -on -one and, and uh, not allowing them to drive past him, which is a key, you know, trait for the NBA right now. Uh, I think his jump shot is, is very good. And it's something that he really hasn't used as much or doesn't need to use much in Arizona, but in the pros, he could be a pick and pop guy too. Um, and really, you know, running, running the court, he does better than almost anyone in the nation yeah. too. So, I mean, I, all of those things are pro skills for him. So, I mean, he's going to play basketball, you know, professionally for as long as he wants to. Um, I think he's still developing, like he's not a finished product yet. He still has a high ceiling. Um, but the way that he's played, especially in big games this year and against big time competition, I mean, and the, the tournament run will show that even more uh, this year. But, you know, I think the sky's the limit for CeeLo because uh, the, how hard he works, the kind of kid, that he, the kind of, uh, you know, young man that he is. Um, I think he's got a really bright future ahead of him. What do you think? I was watching Gonzaga last night and their Chet Holmgren. Yeah. You've seen him play? Yeah, absolutely. I've been watching him since high school. So <laughs> I just, my mouth was open watching him like early in the game when he would do those reverse pivots through the lane yeah. with the dunk. Yeah. And his three pointers and his 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 reach on defense, how he's blocking shots. And I, I just hit me that it's a different game. There's Coloco and Holmgren now, non-traditional centers that, that we've seen through the years. And it's so it's so fun to see Coloco in that group because when he sits on a podium and speaks in in QA sessions with media guys. He is so well-spoken, so soft-spoken. You can tell he's a good person. Yeah, he is. And yeah. that's what has stuck with me the most is this guy came from Cameroon. Um, I don't know what his family situation was, but here he is now. He, I mean, he did it. He's now going to be a millionaire, you know, many times over. And it's, it's so encouraging and fun to see a guy like him rise like that. Absolutely. It's been a, one of the bright spots for sure this year of the season, amongst many, though. So <laughs> give, me your, uh, give me your preview of the Pac-12 uh, Pac tournament. How do you think this goes for Arizona? Who do you think as a roadblock for them? What, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know what to make of ASU because yeah, the they're... six games they've won recently, five of them are against really bad teams. Right. But I, I know they're tough and aggressive and hustle. And if they shoot like any team, if they shoot those threes well, you're in trouble. Um, I just can't picture Arizona losing to them at this point. Um, I just can't. 
I can never picture that anyway. So it's fine. Yeah. And I never, Jason Terry and I never lost to them our, our whole career. So that's still a badge of honor that I wear proudly. <laughs> that's what Damon always says too. You never <laughs> and um, I guess the next, if they beat ASU, the next game would, would be probably maybe Oregon or Colorado. Mm -hmm. Well, it would be Oregon or Colorado. Um, a week ago, I would have feared Oregon more, but Will Richardson kind of, disappeared he's their best player yeah. not to say won't come back but I think Arizona could beat Colorado by double figures um the Colorado would probably come into the game thinking hey we, we've got the sauce here to beat these guys and it'll be a completely different everything absolutely different game for sure on a neutral neutral court <laughs> I think Oregon could give Arizona go to the last couple minutes with them but then again it's one of the worst Oregon teams in 10 years. So I couldn't see Arizona losing to them either. Yeah. So to me, it's UCLA yeah. Arizona on Saturday night. And that would be what a spotlight game for the Pac-12. Um, two top 10 teams, 18,000 people there, um, live on Fox. I mean, that's Pac-12 doesn't get that very often. Yeah, that'd be a big that'd be a big time for the conference. We've had a couple of Arizona games, you know, this year that have been on the national spotlight where they've they've shown pretty well. But it's always good to get that that uh, spotlight on the West Coast, uh, yeah. especially right before the tournament. So <laughs> that'd be that'd be good for us. I can imagine what the arena is going to be like. Yeah, I mean, the guys I play golf with during the week, they're all going. <laughs> planning to go for weeks, and I figure that's the same in the community. Um, I bet that road between here and Las Vegas tomorrow morning is just packed with U of A fans. That's what we want to see. We know you know those U of A chants. That's the best thing when you're watching TV and they're on the road or a neutral side. You can hear that in the background of the, of the announcers. That's that's my favorite thing. <laughs> and I can't even figure UCLA. What do you think UCLA would get? A thousand people? Yeah, Maybe. we'll see. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, but uh, I hope we get to see it, though. Hope we get to see it. Yeah. Okay, before I let you get before I let you go, where do you where do you think Arizona's tournament run goes this year? And what's the X factor that you see that has to happen for them to make a run to the Final Four and possibly have a chance at taking everything? I think Tubelis has to be very productive because he's been kind of quiet lately, mm -hmm. and they've made up for it. Maybe because of their teams they played haven't been that good. I think because Tubelis. Who has a guy like Tubelis? Not very many teams. Yeah. I like what Matt Muehlbach calls him the Lithuanian locomotive. Yeah. <laughs> I've called him the rock, the rock for the team pretty much the whole year. You know, he does so much to facilitate winning for them. That doesn't always show up in scoring or, um, you know, he can score obviously and, and rebound and get stats, but like just the, the piece that he plays within the offense and defense has been, you know, very uh, integral to the success that they've had this year. And I also think Creason needs to play well, shoot well, and be wise about shooting. Those would be my two things because I think Matherin is a big gamer now. Yeah, yeah. And the way Pele Larson and Ballo have come on, they're reliable guys. But then every time, to me, when I think about the whole month, Arizona has lost every conceivable level heartbreak to joy yep. so unpredictable I'm, 
before I moved to Tucson, I lived in uh, Eugene, Oregon. And Oregon State, of all teams, was number one in the nation my last year there in 1980, 1981, I mean. They were 26-0. They had a team like, it was a national championship team, once right. a century team. They go into the tournament 26-1. and one, And the only team they lost to was the best team in ASU history. They had Byron Scott and Fat Lever. Yep. So they go in the tournament 26 and one, and they lost the first round to Kansas State. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. That, that's what I think about as much as I think about your team and how it achieved. I balance it out with remembering that Oregon State and so many others who just didn't make it. It's a tough road. Yeah. It's a tough road. You got to have a lot of things go your way to, to, to cut down those nets. <laughs> Even if you're the best team, like I thought, you know, we were in 98. Um, we were a much better team. One of the best, you know, probably the best team I ever played on ever. And, you know, a bad day, bad matchup, and, and you're out of there. So <laughs> you got to, you got to be, you got to get a lot of things going your, your way to, to make it happen. You know, that day, that 98 game, I'm from Utah, so um, I knew the radio guy for Utah, and he had me on the pregame show for a minute. And um, he asked me, what do you think is going to happen in the game? And, and I had never given a thought that Utah would win the game. I yeah. just thought, can't happen. And then what did it take, 12 minutes into the game, and you realized, <laughs> yeah. uh-oh. I was, I was in the same way. I thought the same thing before the game. So. <laughs> It was just a shock. It was a shock. It was shocking. Still shocking to this day. <laughs> yeah. So predict stuff at your own risk. That's time. right. That's right. Well, sir, hey, I appreciate your time today. This has been really well, fun. And, uh, you know, I enjoy your time, you know, at the Pac-12 tournament. Enjoy this tournament run. Keep uh, keep doing what you're doing. And thanks for, you know, being a part of, you know, my history and, and all the, the history of Tucson for, for so many years. We appreciate that. Thanks, AJ. Good luck to you and your boys. All right. Appreciate it, sir. I'll talk to you soon. Before we move on to the next topic, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now's the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Play instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season tipping off, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Better Now Ballers. I'd like to welcome in my man, uh, my OG, really. <laughs> One of the first of only two players to earn best defensive player honors four consecutive seasons by a vote of his teammates, which I voted for him for that award as well. Mr. Reggie Geary, what's happening, man? Welcome. Hey, what's up, AJ, man? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing good, man. I've been wanting to get you on for a while, so I'm looking forward to this, man. Okay, I want to jump in early. I'm, we're going to cover like a little bit of everything about you. I want to hop into your high school career um, at Modern Day. Um, you know, one of the powerhouse programs across the United States in high school sports, basketball especially. One thing I didn't know, you played also uh, baseball and track in high school. I didn't know that. Like, talk to me about that a little bit. How, how, how did that uh, come about? Did you do that growing up or... I didn't know you even played uh, multiple sports in high school. Yeah, you know, um, well, baseball was my first love, in all honesty. Like, okay. that was the sport that I was best at. If you ask people around my way, uh, kind of about me as a youngster, you know, baseball was the thing that everybody thought I was going to be a pro in. Um, it was something I was naturally good at. I did it from a young age. 
Um, I did in high school a little bit, and I'll get into that in here in a second, how, how that kind of went a different direction. But uh, baseball was my thing. Track was just something, you know, stay in shape or whatever during the yeah. season. Baseball was my first true love. Um, but I started getting attention for basketball, you know, around, I don't know, that seventh, eighth grade. And that, and that, that kind of admiration and getting those letters, it, it kind of took over a little bit of my thinking. And, and I kind of got away from baseball, uh, not realizing I probably could have done both. What position did you play in baseball? I was center fielder. I was a five-tool guy. Like, right. I was Eric Davis and Daryl Strawberry. Like, those were my guys. Uh, Gary Pettis, you know, I just I had a big arm. Um, I had a big bat. I just, like I said, I loved it. I really did. And I wish I would have continued with it. But, you know, basketball, man, it, it, it put the hook in me. I'm sure there's some softball teams out there right now that still take you back, man. You want to get out there, <laughs> right. get out there and get back at it. <laughs> so you were first team, all state, all city, all county, CIF player of the year. I mean, those are huge awards, man. I mean, that's big time. Um, you know, at, at modern day, talk about your high school career just a little bit, what modern day meant to you and, and how it kind of shaped your, your athletic you know, career. Yeah, you know, modern day, as you mentioned, one of the you know, West Coast powerhouses uh, ran by Gary McKnight, the head coach there, should be Hall of Famer. Um, he had two terrific uh, assistants, Dave Taylor and Bill Bellamo, um, that were almost like college coaches. So that, to be experienced that in high school, uh, th those levels of teaching and fundamentals, man, it really took me to the next level. Obviously, the competition was fierce. Um, we were traveling nationally, going to St. Louis and San Diego before that was even a real thing. And so, you know, just to be exposed by, by you know, those coaches and the players, you know, Dylan Riggin, when I first got there, was a U of A guy. Uh, Dylan was a big deal. You know, he, he was, he was kind of doing his thing and I got a chance to kind of watch him a little bit. And, and um, you know, in 19, what was it, 1990, we won a state championship. 91, we came back, lost to Cherokee Parks in the semifinals. And then 92 was my year, you know, and uh, just a great experience. Ended up, you know, winning the CIF, won a lot of awards, ended up losing the state championship to Jason Kidd. But, uh, uh, being that as Jason, I'm not going to lose too much sleep there over it. Yeah, yeah, that's. A, I mean, that, that's, if you're going to lose, might as well lose to a Hall of Famer. You know. What I mean? <laughs> For sure. So after your high school career, who else? Who else was recruiting you? You know, ultimately, obviously, you decided on Arizona, but who else was in the mix back then for you? Yeah, I mean, probably when I cut it down to like three or four, you know, I did it officially UCLA. I went out to to Villanova. I was really close to going to Villanova. Um, John Olive, who ended up becoming the Torrey Pines coach, had a great career out there in San Diego. He was Raleigh Massimino's assistant, and I really took a liking to him, and playing in the Big East was always a little bit of a dream. Um, uh, Vanderbilt, Eddie Fogler, I was heading down in that direction with Phil Ford's assistant coach, and, um, and there was just a host of others, but those were the, the main ones. Um, but when, when I got on Tucson and got on the campus and just felt that vibe, man, it was a no-brainer. Yes, sir. That weather, that weather will get you quick too. <laughs> and a campus environment. So let's jump in, man. Let's talk about a little bit about your uh, Arizona career, man. You had an amazing career. Um, you know, led led the Wildcats in your in your time there to over a hundred wins, uh, Final Four appearance. You know, did pretty much everything you could do at Arizona. So just talk about that and how your kind of progression went from. I've always wondered how it was for you, like early on in your career, because I never really, we never really discussed that, you know, the year that we were together. So, yeah. um, like, how did it start for you and how did it progress throughout your time there? Yeah, you know, uh, going to Arizona was a, was a true blessing. It really was. Um, from day one, it was a very similar style um, to what I experienced at modern day. Practice style, playing style um, was, was very similar. Um, and so coming in, I transitioned in real smoothly. And uh, I, I always make the story the first day of practice, we're going to practice. And I had no Chris Mills. I played with Chris Mills in the summer in the Sano. 
Um, so I, I kind of knew Chris and, and his dad, Claude, and I, I kind of had a feel for the college game a little bit. We get into that first practice and we're doing everything in a shell drill and all the fast break drills. At one point, Chris looks over and goes, man, like, you know, every drill. And I was like, this is like a modern day practice. You know what I mean? So I felt comfortable from day one. Uh, Coach Olsen, he valued me from day one. Like, he, I think he realized kind of what kind of individual I was and, and, and the background that I had. And so I was in the mix. I was like the sixth man in the first game. The first game was against Arkansas. I scored 13 points and got off to a great start. The second game, Khalid got a little bit of trouble. So I got my first start. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> that didn't last long. Khalid took it back immediately. Uh, but, uh, but you know, I was, I was feeling comfortable from day one and it never really changed. You know, um, I, I found my niche. You know, I started looking around and in my freshman year was Chris Mills was an All-American. Uh, Pac-10 player of the year. Uh, we had Khalid Reeves, became a future, you know, um, lottery pick, Damon Stoudemire, future lottery pick, Ed Stokes, playing the NBA. Ray. I mean, we had, I could go down the list. We had like seven, eight guys who were NBA guys. Yeah. So I was kind of figuring out like, well, you know, where do I fit in in this? And just playing hard and, and it kind of developed into this role of being kind of like this glue guy who played defense, high assist guy, high basketball IQ, who played hard. And it worked out my four years. Yeah, Corey, you know, when I had C-Dub on, uh, he kind of had a similar story about how there was always guys in front of you that, you know, had the blueprint that kind of showed you, you know, what you could be doing in a couple of years if you just followed what Coach Olsen was telling you and what your teammates told you and, and learned and worked hard, you'd have an opportunity to be successful and really have a chance to, you know, play professionally, really, if you follow that, follow that game plan. So, I mean, yep. you, you were a perfect example of that, you know, our year. Um, you know, that we played together and, um, you know, where did your, you're, you're always been a great leader. Like where, where did that come from? Were you always like that? Even coming up like as a younger kid, were you always the kid that was kind of leading by example and with your voice and everything, or was that something you developed over time and, and through your time in Arizona? I think uh, it started developing, you know, I was always looked as a leader because you know how it is, AJ, when you, I was the best athlete from, a, even from a small kid always up. So people right. always kind of, I was always on me. Um, to go along with, I like to talk a lot. And so, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, <right? laughs> and I think so. I think those two things it developed over time um, in high school. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was, I was a captain two years in high school. So I kind of knew, you know, what that was about and, and it probably had, you know, made mistakes in terms of, you know, maybe just dealing with people or how to communicate. So by the time I got to college, I kind of worked out some of those kinks. But I think you made a good point. Like when I got there, man, we, we had Chris Mills. We had a guy like Deron Johnson. Yeah. They were like big brothers, man. They put their arms around us and really would show us the way. And we did it for others. And so I think that model you described really prepared me. I was, a, you know, I was a, a captain at Arizona really three years. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of had figured that voice out and, and, it's, and it's progressed and helped me later in life to become a coach. Yeah, well, I mean, you were always, you were always great at it, still great at it to this day. So, you know, that was something that I always loved about you, you know, as a player and a person that you were, you were, you were always the hardest worker. And so it was easy to follow, you know what I mean? And so thank you for all that you did, you know, for me, obviously throughout when I was a young fella, just learning the ropes as well. Nah, so, I appreciate AJ, man. Like I said, you came in off your fresh face and everything, and, <laughs> uh, but, but you had a skill set and you were open for, for coaching for Coach Olsen and just from the whole group and man, and you were out there. So uh, no, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, so in 94, I mean, obviously you guys made a great run the final four in Charlotte. Uh, talk to me about that year and that run and what that meant to you and, and everything that was went along with that. 
yeah, you know, 94 ended up being one of those special seasons. Um, you know, going into that year, not a lot of people know, uh, in the summer of 93, we had, uh, we went to Australia. That was our foreign trip. Yeah, we did too. So we went down to New Zealand, Australia for like 27 days, something some crazy long time. Um, but during that time, we got a chance to kind of, you know, regroup because we just had lost in the first round the year before to Santa Clara and Steve Nash. So we still will, you know, we still were kind of hurting and to kind of just get away from everything and get off the continent and go somewhere else was cool. And we got down there and Coach Olsen had a little surprise. I mean, he must have been in the lab and thinking about it. He's like, you know what, we're, we're going to play Reggie at the three. And so, you know, we just had lost Chris Mills, six, he was the traditional six foot seven, all American three man. And now here we're going to go with a six two three man. And, uh, and he kind of rolled it out in Australia. And we, man, we rolled him out there. We, I think we went like 11 and one uh, versus the NBL teams, and professional teams. So we knew, we knew we felt good. Like, okay, we might have something. And uh, so we get into the season and Damon and Khalid, I mean, they're just murdering caps. I mean, they're just doing their thing every night. If one is on, uh, you know, we, we probably got 80% chance of winning. If two are on, it was like 99.9. Yeah. And, and so they used to get, so they were killing, we were rolling and um, it just, you know, everyone understood their roles on that team. I knew exactly what my role was. I was going to guard the best, the other team's best player. Um, I was going to be a high assist guy. And if I dropped in a bucket or two here and there, that'd be great. And, um, and we also, obviously we had, uh, you know, we had Joseph Blair who was coming into his own, but a nice freshman year. And now he was starting to develop Ray O's kind of was that pick and pop guy. Um, and then we had a solid bench with Corey and Joe McClain and others. And so um, it, it just was a magical year. We got to that tournament and we were razor focused. We had just lost the year before, like I'd mentioned in the first round. So that wasn't going to happen again. So, you know, I think it was, um, man, I forgot who we played in the first round, team out of Baltimore. And then we caught Virginia in the second round. And that was a good team, the ACC team. Um, and we rolled them and we, and we felt good. So we had a lot of confidence going in. We bought the, the sports arena in LA the following weekend. Uh, we played Missouri. Um, don't take that back. We played Louisville, Clifford Rozier, and 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 we thought, man, Clifford Rozier is all American. And uh, we put quick work on them. No disrespect, but you know, we, we really put it on them. Played Missouri, and the funny thing about the Missouri game was, after we had beat Missouri, or just the final seconds, we were so laser focused. I didn't even realize the final four was the next step. It was almost like an epiphany. It was a surprise. They were like, oh, yo, you're going to the final. And so everybody exploded <laughs> at that point. But that just shows you the level of focus for those those two weekends, those four games that, you know, we were just locked in. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, the final four, Arkansas, uh, out, out in Charlotte, North Carolina. President was there, so it was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Clinton was in the house. And um, it was just one of those – it was just – it was a, a great experience, a beautiful night. Um, um, you know, uh, unfortunately for us, uh, it was the one night all year that Damon and Khalid were off. Yeah. Like that had never had happened. And I'm, trust me, I'm not blaming them. We wouldn't have got there without them, but it was just the one night they were off. Like I was doing my thing and everybody else was kind of, you know, was playing their games, but we just couldn't get over the hump. And we had like a four point lead, like a four, six point lead with like six minutes. Thought we might get there, but that 40 minutes of hell really was for us about a four minutes of hell. <laughs> and that press took over, man. And Corey Beck and Scotty Thurman and Darnell Revison and some of those dudes, they started getting steals and getting momentum. And next thing you know, man, we just we just couldn't get over that hump. Yeah, but I mean, it was a great run, brother. You know, yeah. there's nothing like going to the final four. I mean, there's there's nothing like it. And, right. You know, have that experience and congratulations to you. I know what it was like for us, which is crazy. And I know what it was like to come up short the next year, just like you said, when, you know, all of our guys were off, when Miles and Bib and Mike D were all off for the same game. It was, 
it was a it was a tough one to, to swallow, but uh, at least we got there, right? <laughs> no, for sure. We all man, we always laugh. You ninety seven guys, you guys got it done, man, for real. And so we like, dang, if, if we knew it was like that, we could have got, we should have got it done. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up taking that one step further, which was awesome. So you're taking your 94 team over our 97 team? Hey, I love y'all. You know, I love you like little brothers, but all day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I have a fight against that, man. But we'll never know. So it's hypothetical, bro. <laughs> oh, <I mean. laughs> all right. So one of my favorite memories of you, and I talk about this all the time, anytime I mention you, uh, is when we were playing, it was my first month of college basketball. We're in the preseason at IT. You know, we run through, I think we played Long Beach State first, then we beat Arkansas at Arkansas, which to me was just crazy because I was playing at Arkansas, and we got them. Uh, then we get to, you know, Michigan and beat them in uh, Madison Square Garden, and then the final is against Georgetown and Allen Iverson, right? And AI had been killing everybody, and, uh, you know, he had a good game against us, but there was one play in that game where AI went baseline, and was going up for a layup. And you just came out of nowhere on help side and just beat his shot until like the 10th row. And I just remember you yelling, no! And he was just beating <laughs> into the stands. And so do you, what do you remember about that game and that matchup with AI in that game, man? Oh, man, that was a magical night, man. It really was. Like you say, we we're in the garden in the Mecca of basketball playing Allen Iverson. And, and the first thing that, you know, first thing I remember was kind of taking everything all in. You know, I knew... Uh, you know, we got Spike Lee making a small documentary. You know, yeah. I, I think Woody Allen's somewhere in the corner. John Thompson's got the towel and he's walking. Yeah. I'm like, this, this is it, man. Like, this is this is truly the Mecca. And and uh, and that was a dream. It really was for me. It's something, you know, you know, I wanted to get to a Final Four in National Championship, but I really had my eyes set on getting to the Garden that preseason because it had kind of been an Arizona, you know, right away, all the Arizona teams in the past. And um, Coach, excuse me, Coach Olsen, Hall of Fame, Lou Olsen, he had a great plan. He said, okay, we're going to put Miles on Allen. We're going to yeah. put Reggie on Victor Page, figuring Allen's going to get his, which he did. Yeah. <laughs> and we would shut down Victor Page, which only had six points that game, yeah. and we come out with the win. And it was just a great night. I remember spinning in the garden, dropping it off to my man AJ for the nice two-handed dunk. Yes, you know, sir. that was a beautiful <laughs> moment, you know, and, uh, and getting that win. And I remember Coach being so happy, um, you know, uh, just being so happy. And just, you know, it was just a, a great evening. Yeah, man, that was like my introduction to college basketball. I was like, as soon as we, I remember riding on the bus just to the games, you know, through Times Square, and just, uh, you know, looking around and like, I made the right choice, man. I, made, <laughs> I definitely made the right choice. Coming you know, this is all right. <laughs> That's right. So that year, I mean, we had a really good year that year. Let me ask you this. If you, if we didn't lose JV halfway through that year, you think we would have been in the final four and had a chance to win it that year? I really do. You know, I really do. You know, Joseph, Joseph Blair, um, you know, he he was six foot ten. He's a little bit like Azul Tabellas is on this team in terms of his ability to run the floor and finish like he does. Um, and he just was a big part. We were able to adjust after you know he was uh you know after he you know he was set you know started missing some games and had some academic issues or whatever. Uh, but with him, man, I think there's no stopping us now. We got Ben. You know, Ben's kind of Ben and you and some of the guys. We just needed that that other additional senior big. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, we lost to Kansas by two or three, I think. Um, we had seen Syracuse before, so we kind of knew then they would have been the next round opponents. So I really believe that would have happened. Um, but like, like I say, we'll never know. Yeah, I do too. I look back at that like, man, we had a chance that year too, man. We could have we could have made a big run that year. But we had, still had a successful season, but I thought we could have done a little bit more. So 
let's hop into a little bit of, okay, after your Arizona career, obviously you played it, you know, in the NBA for a while and, uh, you know, played professionally overseas all over the place. And I always like to get guys' perspectives who played overseas, uh, what that was like for them, how that molded them as people. Because for me, it really did so much wonders for me as a person, uh, you know, playing over there for so many years. So what was your career like? You can touch on your NBA career if you like, but then talk about your career overseas as well. Okay. Yeah, so it's a second-round draft choice by King Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and after that, I played a, another year with San Antonio Spurs, two full seasons, almost about a thousand minutes. So I had a great NBA experience. Unfortunately, I had a little bit of a health issue that I had to deal with. Um, but once I got over that, I was kind of back in business again and, and started going back, started going overseas. Um, so as you mentioned, I played in Israel and France, uh, Portugal. Um, I played in South America a little bit in my last year, I think in Kiev, um, which is a place that's in the news right now and, and played for BC Kiev out there. And so I uh, like you though, my, my, my overseas experience was, was fantastic. Um, I was very blessed, obviously, and fortunate to get those first couple of years in the league um, under my belt and, and have some success there. So I had some confidence going overseas. But, my, you know, my first gig was for Benai Herzliya, kind of a middle-of-the-pack team in Israel. Um, and, I, you know, when I got there, they were talking about, you know, just kind of making everybody around, around me better. And, and I, so I was kind of passing and doing my thing. And I realized like, no, like over here, America's got to get busy. Like, yes, you know, you got to put production. Yeah. They want to see right. numbers. And so that wasn't a role I, I hadn't been since high school. Right. You know, I was kind of the, you know, fitting guy in college and then the NBA the same way, but now I'm being asked to stretch myself a little bit and, and, and being asked, it really, I really grew as a player. Um, I started doing things, realizing like, man, you know, I can be a scorer. You know, my second year playing for FC Porto, a Euro Cup team, I averaged almost 25 points a game. So yeah. I started realizing, like, yo, I can, I can, I can do this. I can score at a high level with the France with scoring. And so I grew as a, as a player. I grew as a person. You know, being able to go to you know to Lisbon or Paris or all these beautiful countries, being in, in Brazil and Rio, um, you grow as an individual. You start taking life experiences in. Um, you start learning more things about yourself, what kind of person you really are. You know, um, and so I, I embraced it. I'm an individual who loves to travel. Uh, you know, I'll make a fool of myself and speak the language and try to make <laughs> all the crazy foods, as you know. So it, it really re made me a well-rounded individual. And I'm just very fortunate. I'm sure you are that we had those experiences. Yeah, I think for me, like basketball-wise, it's the same thing as you. Because, you know, I was a scorer, but never looked at it as like the first option. And when when I got to Spain and, you know, like second or third year, like I was averaging, you know, 18, 19, 20 points a game. And it really was that number one option. So it really helped my game expand. And you had to do it. You're right. You have to put numbers up over there. You don't oh, put yeah, numbers yeah. up. I mean, you were out of the next play smoking back. No, that's sure, somebody else in sure. there. I, used to tell people, I had to put my little cape on every night. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had to get like 20 points, 10 assists, nine yeah. steals. Like, you do everything. So <laughs> that's right. So after your playing career, I mean, I want to talk about this too. It's like, you also coached overseas for a lot of years and you coached in, in Japan for many years. What was that experience like? And how, how did that work? Cause I know like when I was in Spain, you know, my first year, it was hard to communicate with anybody. And so, you know, we had one assistant coach that spoke a little bit of English. So he would translate what the coach was saying. Basketball is kind of a universal game. So you can pick up, you know, what, what guys are saying, even though you may not understand the language fully, but what was that experience like for you coaching in Japan? Yeah, no, Japan was, was fantastic. Uh, you know, I was there for six years, coached three different teams, had great success there. Um, I coached 14 years in all. So after I got done playing nine years, I uh, went back, got my degree. My first my first offer was from Coach Olsen. So I spent a little bit of time with Coach Olsen. I was a, a, D, a D League, now G League head coach for two years. And now, you know, I find myself in Japan. And um, just, uh, you know, I have to mention it. My, my mentor, Dave and I, 
Um, he is the former Cal State LA, Cal State Dominguez Hill coach. Um, this year was awarded the John Wooden Award. Uh, first time uh, Division II coach has ever received that with Coach K and Lou Olson. Wow. So this is kind of a, a big time figure in my life and in the basketball community. He kind of connected me to going to Japan. And so uh, I hooked up with the uh, Yokohama team right outside of Tokyo first two years. My first year there, we get to the final four. My second year, my first year of final four, I got the coach of the year. My second year, we win the championship. And then by the end, I was coaching Mitsubishi, one of the club teams. And so it was a beautiful six years for my family and I. Um, I didn't really treat the, I didn't treat the language like it was a big deal. Um, I had a translator with me 24 seven. Um, probably half my team spoke English. Um, the other half probably spoke, but never would tell me. Um, they'd be like, coach, coach, I don't understand. I'd be like, no, you understand, man. All right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? And then and if you put them on that bench, that's the international language. They seem to right. understand exactly what I wanted. And so, uh, but no, it was, it was, it was a beautiful experience. Um, you know, Japan is a unique culture. And so kind of navigating that, my wife's half Japanese and we had some family there. So I had a little bit of background. Um, but yeah, man, I just, I just treat it like it was a universal game of basketball. The one thing that was very successful for me in Japan in, in particular was um, they were very much uh, younger players didn't challenge older players. They're very respectful kind of in that. And even in their speaking, um, there's a way if even you would speak differently to me. I would say, you know, maybe just good morning. You'd be right. like, good morning, sir, in Japanese. And so they're very respectful of that. When I came in, I blew that up and brought the American model. I'm like, yo, we compete here. If yeah, you could take yeah. somebody, take them. You know what I mean? And I had, a, I had an open door policy and those things really resonated with those guys over there. And that's why I was able to have the success. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Yeah, you did a good job, great job over there. Uh, and, you know, having you as a coach, I'm sure was was beneficial for those guys. And that's interesting that you said that. Like, I, I'm sure they, their games blossomed because you were able to open up the communication lines for them. Yeah, for sure. And that's something we got from Coach Olsen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Coach Olsen was always a big about like, you know, he he was a Hall of Famer in so many ways. The big thing was just letting you do you and, and figuring what that meant for the group. Mm -hmm. And I realized that. And so, yeah, I, I want to make these guys part of the process. End of the day, I'm still the head coach, but I want them to have a voice, make sure that we, they had some ownership of what we were doing. I thought that was more powerful. So talk, we talked about you talked about a little bit, but talk about your relationship with Coach O because you you know have the unique um, you know you had the unique opportunity of playing for him and then coaching with him as well. And so talk about your dynamic with Coach and just how that relationship blossomed over the years. Yeah, it, it was always a really good relationship. You know, Coach always respected me even as a player. Um, and we used to you know even when I was a player, you know, I was a little feisty and I had some ideas back then. And I had some you know, and sometimes ideas, uh, you know. Maybe I didn't communicate in the best way or didn't do it at the right time. And so we used to butt heads a little bit, um, especially my senior year, we butted heads, but always in a respectful manner. Like he would bring me in and we would laugh and like we'd be arguing, but at the same time we were having this, we, we want the same thing. Right. And I think we used to kind of chuckle about that at the end. And so I think we had that kind of a, you know, I had that base with a three-year captain. I was kind of a feisty guy. Coach realized that, um, that once I got done with my career and I started thinking about what I want to do next, I started talking to him. And, and now looking back, on my whole life, he's been at kind of every major point in my adult life. He was there, you know, through college maturation, being at my wedding. Every time I had a kid, I brought him to him. I could pick him up on the phone. So he, it, it was just, he was always in my life and such an impactful guy. And, and uh, for him to believe me as a player and now believing me as a coach, it, 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 was, it meant a lot to me. And just to see how, you know, how he operated and, and really as a coach, how much time he put into the details that we didn't see as a player. We thought kind of coach kind of rolled it out. Coach practice was so seamless. It was so fun. 
but man, he really took his time. Uh, he really was a visionary. Just a man who played with three bigs at one time, played with three guards. You know, he could play in so many different ways. He'd be so, I was telling someone the other day, he'd be so perfect for today's game. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So perfect. Yep. Recruiting wise, system wise, like the talk, he wouldn't have to change anything and he still would be a Hall of Fame coach. And, and that's what makes him so special. And the fact that he's in my life and in your life and so many others, uh, man, we were, we were blessed. We were definitely blessed, man. He did so much for us that we didn't even recognize at the time. You know, when you're there, you, when you get older and you get out of there, and you have a different relationship with coach and uh, you just realize how much he just helped you when you didn't even know it. You know what I mean? And so yep. he was a wonderful man. So uh, we were blessed to have him. So, okay, let's jump into this year's team. Okay, yeah. I love this year's team, brother. Like they, they are playing some of the best basketball I've seen at Arizona for, you know, for years. Uh, what are your thoughts on Tommy Lloyd, the job that he's doing and this year's squad, man? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tommy Lloyd has been fantastic. He, he has been a great addition. Um, I've been telling people it's been a perfect marriage. You know, we've, we've got some guys now uh, in Ben Matherin, who yesterday was named Pac-12 Player of the Year, um, Azula Sabellis and Christian Coloco, also first team, all Pac-12. But more importantly, these guys were, were just kind of rounding in the form. You know, um, Tabellas and Matherin played uh, under-19s this year in Europe. Yep. And not only did they play, they were they were the stars. And so, you know, to have these guys kind of now uh, peaking collegiately, kind of where they're at, and now Tommy coming in, setting a little bit of a different tone than Sean Miller, uh, different philosophies, open things up. Um, you know, Sean, you know, he, Sean was a very good coach, a great coach, but he was a little rigid um, and kind of what he would accept on the court and what he wanted, you know, the program to kind of feel like. And, and, and Tommy's opened that back up. It's more, it's more Coach Olsen-esque yes. um, where, you know, you can make mistakes and the mistakes kind of laughed off a little bit. Right. Um, and he allows you to grow on the floor. And the guys have blossomed under that system. Um, this team is big, athletic. Um, they can beat you small. They can beat you big. Uh, offensively, we know the number one team scoring in the nation. They will they they will run you off the court, but defensively, um, you know they can do some really good things. So the fact that they're so good in all facets to go along with the size they have and Tommy's philosophy, man, they they've been rolling. Give me uh, two X factors for Arizona to make the final four and have a shot at taking everything this year. Yeah, uh, big thing is uh, the size advantage they have to continue to take advantage of. Uh, this team crushes people with points in the paint. Um, that, that has to be at a high clip, whether it's, you know, uh, playing, whether it's fast breaking, getting that fast break thing going, which is difficult, more difficult in the tournament. Um, but using that size of advantage, playing high low, which they've had a lot of uh, success doing this year. And then point guard play, you know, uh, Kirk, Chris and, and Justin Kyer, um, you know, there's, there's some pressure on them. Uh, uh, Kerr has been a little bit, he's been consistent for the most part, but he has those nights. Um, where he maybe loses focus or attention and he, and he has a bad shooting night, he can't do that. Uh, he's the one individual guys are going to kind of be looking at, like, if we can attack, we can attack there. Um, so just making sure that he's on point. Um, but, yeah, as long as, they, as long as they remain themselves and just keep doing what they're doing and playing hard, all right, I think at times of this year they've got a little bored, started kind yeah. of playing for the food. It's <laughs> like, oh, man, no, like, y'all need to stay focused. Um, you know, but when they do that, when they're locked in, Man, man, they're, they're, I think they're the number one team in the nation. Yeah, I agree with that, man. Good. I'm glad you said that because more people, I mean, I've been stuck at number two for a while. And, you know, Gonzaga's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. But, you know, I think they've they played like the number one team in the nation at times this year and really had a, just an exceptional year of getting the program, you know, in a spot where if I'm a high school recruit, man, there's nowhere else in the world I want to go but Arizona right now. Oh, so for sure. I think the recruiting is going to pick up, you know, tremendously. Uh, you know, I love the the style and the energy that Tommy Lloyd's brought to the program. 
And glad that you're, you're a part of it, man. And you get to go along for the ride too. Me doing this show this year feels like I'm a part of the team too, which has been I fun. So, you know, I, I think they're just going to have a, a great run and it's going to be fun, fun for all of us to watch. So I appreciate you jumping on. I know you're a busy man. I know you got a busy, busy time at the Pac-12 tournament. Enjoy yourself, Reg. You're one of my favorites, man. I appreciate everything you've done for me. And hopefully we can get back, get you back on Bear on Ballers in the future, my brother. Hey, AJ, man, you're awesome, brother. Anytime, man, I'd love to be back. I love the fact that you're doing it, educating these folks, getting the full rock up, man, some of us too. So uh, anytime, man, you know I love you, man. Bear it down. Yes, sir. Bear it down. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad.